Grace 412 podcast listeners, thanks for hanging out. It is actually Wednesday morning and we have started pre-recording these podcasts. So you're getting the practice version of them. We last month uh, following camp started what we're calling the one another training sessions. Um, and these are just a time for us to get together before youth group and go through some of the one another's in scripture. Things like um, wash each other's feet, bear one another's burdens, um, love one another. And today we are going to kick off an actual series where we're going through those now during the lesson time. And so we're in James chapter 5. And we're looking at this one another of confessing your faults one to another and praying for one another. And so we're going to jump right in on James chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 13. Uh, We're going to look at the one another and then we're going to go back in and look at the context of this text. And so James chapter 5 and verse 13, he says, Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of the faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they shall forgive him. And then you're going to see this one another here in chapter 5 and verse 16. He says, Now confess your faults one to another, pray for one another, that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And so you see this here. He says, Hey, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another. And so I want to uh, challenge us and ask this question then what happens when we don't pray for one another? Is that the question is naturally, you know, like is God up there going, well, you know, Mark and Emily uh, prayed for this person, but, um, you know, n- nobody else did. And so now I'm not going to heal that person or, um, well, they didn't ask for this. They didn't pray for this. So now I'm not going to do this. Um, I would just encourage us at the beginning of this to remember God's uh, sovereignty, God's control, and to remind us that God uses uh, our prayer as a way to accomplish his will at times, right? But God is not bound by time. God, it says, knows what we're going to pray before we pray. God knows what we need before we need it. He knows how you're going to pray, and he knows when you're going to pray, See, we have to remember as we think about these things like confessing our faults one to another and pray for one another, and as we uh, read things like, hey, pray for one another and he'll be healed, we have to remember that prayer does not change God's mind, it changes our heart. C.S. Lewis says, when I pray, it doesn't change God, it changes me. Uh, Romans 8, we, we, we looked at in a, a few Sundays ago in context where we, we realized the reality that um, the all things working together for good doesn't mean all things working together how we want them. And it's the same thing when we pray that God might not heal. That might not be his will, though we pray for it. God might not give us that job, even though we pray for it. God might not restore that relationship. That person might not survive. We might always struggle in that area despite our praying for it. But we have to remember that it is a part of the eternal will and plan of God for us to bring him glory and for him to work uh, our hearts for good. And so then we ask them, well, what does happen when we pray for one another? We, we say, what's the point then? Like, what's the purpose? Because he says, hey, pray for one another and you'll be healed. And now you're saying, well, you might not be healed if we pray for one another. What's the point? The very first point is that we realize praying together increases our unity and it increases our faith. There is something that happens when we pray together that unifies us, that grows our faith. 
uh, the first thing that happens is it helps us gain gain insight on that the needs of others. See, when we say, um, hey, can you pray for me? I'm struggling with uh, fill in the blank. Hey, pray for me. I'm struggling with anxiety. Yet the reality is like, hey, I might not have realized that you were struggling with that problem, that you were dealing with that thing. And now I know how to encourage you. And now I'm bringing this before the Lord with you. We're, we're unified together, right? As we pray for one another, it's a part of one of those other one another's that we're bearing one another's burdens in prayer. And then secondly, it helps us gain insight into God's work. See, as we're praying together, we can see and celebrate what God is doing. It, it helps us to be accountable. See, somebody else can point out the good to us as we're, we're struggling through things, as we're praying through things. Somebody else can come alongside us and say, hey, I see you're getting better. I see you're, you're being healed. I see you're growing in this area. I've been praying for you for that. As we see God uh, do miraculous things, it increases our accountability to others. It increases our unity and it increases our faith. And that doesn't happen when we deal with things alone, when we pray for things alone. And so again, we look in context, right, of James chapter 5, where he says, hey, confess your faults for one another and pray for one another. We see praying together increases our unity and it increases our faith. Uh, but what's the context of that? James chapter 5, we'll read all 12 verses here leading up to the verses we just read. He says in verse 1, Go to now, you rich men, weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted, your garments are moth-eaten, your gold and silver is cankered, the rust of them shall be a witness against you. And shall eat your flesh as it were fire. Ye have heaped treasure together for the last days. Behold, the hire of laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth. And the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. Of Sabbath. It says, uh, ye have lived in pleasure on the earth and have been wanton. You have nourished your hearts as in a day of slaughter. You've condemned and killed the just, and he doth not resist you. And then he kind of flips the script and he says in verse 7, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath longed, uh, have long patience for it until he receive the early and latter rain. Be also patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Grudge not one another, one against another. Brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. You have heard of the patience of Job. You've seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. Mercy. But above all things, my brethren, swear not neither by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yea be yea and your nay be yea, lest ye fall into condemnation. And so what's he saying? He's, he's saying, hey, things are getting bad. To, to those living in sin, those living for the pleasures of the world, he says, hey, you've come in, you've taken advantage of others. He says, people are killing the just. They're living for these pleasures of the world. It's temporary pleasures. And he says, hey, your gold and silver, they're, they're going to be laid to waste. Everything that you've built for yourself is, is crumbling. It's a kingdom made on, on, on sand. And then to the believer, to the, those that have kept the faith, he says, I want you to hold fast to your faith. I want you to be patient. He says, I want you to establish your hearts in the coming of the Lord. He says, don't hold grudges. Don't say you're going to do something you're not going to do. 
but hold fast to the faith of the Lord. He says, uh, the Lord is tender in mercy. Have patience like Job. And then you get to verse 13. He says, is any among you sick or afflicted? Let him pray. Is any among you merry? Let him sing in psalms. He says, hey, if you're afflicted, if you're in pain, if you're hurting, I want you to, to pray with those around you that have kept the faith. He says, if you're merry, if you're celebrating, if you're joyful, I want you to sing. I want you to rejoice. He says, wherever you find yourself, come together. And so again, that's context, the context that, hey, the world is getting worse and worse. And pain is not exclusive to those that are saved and unsaved. And joy is not exclusive to those that are saved or unsaved. We're in this sea of emotions, in this ever-changing culture, in this ever-changing world, full of joy and merriment, full of pain and sorrow and suffering. And he says, you need a circle of Christians that you can come together with, that you can celebrate with, that you can weep with, that you can confess your faults to, and that you can pray for. The second thing is this, being vulnerable together increases our unity and it increases our faith. Praying together increases our unity and faith and being vulnerable together does the same. See, there's something that changes when we start getting real with one another. We're going to finish this verse uh, out in context. Chapter uh, 5 and verse 16, he says, confess your faults to one another. That's where we see that verse now. And pray for one another that you might be healed. The effectual, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And then he says, Elias or Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. He prayed earnestly that it might not rain and it rained not on the earth by the span of three years and six months. And he prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the earth brought forth her fruit. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. So he says the prayer of faith shall save him. In uh, verse 16, he says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. He says Elijah was a man with passions like we have and he prayed that it wouldn't rain and it didn't rain. And so again, we, we hear these things and we often think, well, if we just pray with enough faith, then God will do whatever we tell him to. God will do whatever we ask him to. And it sets us up for disappointment. It sets us up for heartache. It sets us up for spiritual frustration. And so we think of physical saving when we go back to those previous verses, 13, 14, 15, when we say, oh, well, if a man is sick, then we pray and he'll be healed. But we look again in context at verse 19 and 20, and he says, Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one converteth him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. See, when we read this in context, we see that there is a much more eternal goal here, that this isn't just a physical healing or a physical saving that happens, but there is an eternal spiritual consequence to what's happening here. That's why if you go back to James chapter 5 and verse 1, he says, hey, you rich people, you that are living for the here and now, he says, your miseries are going to come to you. There's this eternal mindset. And then all the way down to James chapter 5 and verse 20, he says, if a sinner is converted from error, he will save his soul from death. What James is saying here is biblical community holds eternal consequence and eternal reward. That's the entire point of this. That's why we confess our faults to one another. That's why we pray for one another. 
biblical community holds eternal consequences and eternal reward. It's not just about feeling how we want to feel. It's not just about getting what we want to get, but it's about uh, changing our entire perspective. It's about walking together in close community with the people of God, pursuing the will of God, pursuing the heart of God, pursuing the passions of God. And so then how do we get to this point? How do we do this intentionally? How do we initiate biblical community? By adhering to this one another, by confessing our faults to one another and praying for one another, by being vulnerable together. And so the last thing is, is just a few quick tips. Confessing our faults and praying for one another requires the fruits of the Spirit. It requires love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. And I would add one more thing to this. Uh, loving one another well, uh, being joyful with one another, having peace toward one another, uh, being vulnerable with one another, confessing our faults and praying for one another. It requires humility. Whether we're confessing our faults or we're receiving the confession and whether we're requesting prayer or we're the one hearing a request for prayer out, it requires a humility within ourselves where we would meet people where we are and that we would seek Jesus together and we will not have unity of the Spirit without the fruits of the Spirit. That's the most important thing for us to understand. We will not have unity of spirit without the fruits of the spirit. As we try to confess our faults to one another, as we try to pray for one another, as we try to experience biblical community and live in light of eternity, we have to remember we will not have that unity. We will not have that passion, that pursuit of Jesus without the fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. And like I said, I would add to that humility that we would recognize we're stronger together and we're strongest when we're real together. And so that's the prayer, that's the call, that's the commitment this week that we would confess our faults one to another and that we would pray for one another, that we would see true, genuine biblical community because we recognize it holds eternal consequence and eternal reward and that we would recognize our need for both unity of the Spirit and the fruits of the Spirit this week and as we move forward in our pursuit of Jesus. We'll talk to you guys next week.